AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. The markets were back on edge slightly from news out of Odessa. Energies held on to gains. Corn was higher. Meal and soybean oil moved in opposite directions. We're going to look ahead to 2023 marketings and dig into crops already in the bin. Live from the advent of an oatmeal cookie week via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, it's a conversation with Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. Later, Kerry Artak from artakadvisory.com. And right after the news, Jack Scoville from the Price Futures Group. I'm your handsome host, Davis Michelson. Thank you so much for tuning in on this lovely Monday afternoon. Um, I'm just going to start right off by reminding, in case you missed this morning's show or if you caught it, a reminder, Brett Waltz from BAM WX warns eyes on the skies. You uh, good folks in the target areas in the northern plains heading into northern Iowa later on this week could be looking at some fairly substantial weather events, including quite a bit of snow and ice. And uh, so just be advised. And then after that, Waltz was predicting some frigid temperatures some areas he said might not even get above zero once the storm moves through between then and christmas time yikes so just be advised everybody their winter winter is on its way yes all of that you're going to want to be careful uh davis michelson here chip is out for the week and i'm all all by myself i'll have some some guest hosts throughout the week join me, but uh, but for today, it's it's just me. Well, that's not exactly true. I've got Matt Bennett from agmarket.net, Kerry Artek later on, and of course, Jack Scoville. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, I asked Matt, hey, man, is there anything you want to hit in particular? He wants to talk about 2023 marketings, what to do um, with old old crop. Yeah, old crop, I guess it is now. Uh, that maybe just came out of the fields. Do we go in the bin? Do we put it in storage? What What do we do? What do we do? I want to check with him on his local basis and just see where his head is at in general on what's moving these markets and what you good folks need to do about it. So before we do all that, let's check in with today's market news where a spokesperson for Ukraine's infrastructure ministry said... The Black Sea port of Odessa has resumed operations after a Russian attack on the region's energy system. USDA reported wheat inspected for export during the weekend of December 8 at 218,000 metric tons, down from last week and at the low end of trade expectations. In SRW wheat, speculators expanded their net short by 9,300 contracts to just above 63,000 contracts, that's the largest net short since May 2019, this according to CFTC data. March hard red winter wheat futures, 29 and one quarter cents higher today, 880. March soft red wheat was 20 and one half cents higher, 754 and three quarters. March spring wheat closed at 916 and three quarters, up 15 and one quarter cents today. And maybe I'm looking at this wrong. 
largest net short in soft red wheat since May 2019. And yet here we are, we're up almost, well, the uh, hard red wheat futures almost up 30 cents in the March. The March soft red up 20 and a half and spring wheat even uh, joined along 15 and a quarter cents higher today. Be curious to know what's going on in this wheat market. Are, are we back to watching the Ukraine story? We'll find out. Corn futures rose to the highest level in over a week behind spillover from the rally in wheat and strengthened crude oil. USDA reported corn inspected for export during the weekend of December 8 at 505,000 metric tons down from last week. But within trade expectations, based on CFTC data, the managed money net long in corn futures and options dropped during the weekend of December 6 to 120,000 contracts, the smallest net long since September 2020. Corn reached 655 overnight. That's the contract's highest intraday price since December 2nd, but the contract fell back slightly by the close. March corn futures six and one half cents higher, 641 and one quarter. May corn gained eight and three quarter cents to 654. July corn futures closed at 648 and one quarter. That's up seven and one half cents. Some murmurings about the impacts of the Ukraine-Russia situation on the corn market today as well. Well, soybean futures extended Friday's weakness overnight after USDA hiked its global supply outlook on Friday. Argentina's weekend rain, quote, was a little more significant than expected in several areas, improving moisture for soybeans and other crop, this according to World Weather Inc. However, there will not be much follow-up rain for the next 10 days, and the region is likely to dry down again. USDA reported soybeans inspected for export during the weekend of December 8 at 1.84 million metric tons, down from last week, but still at the high end of trade expectations. January soybeans 23 and one quarter cents lower, 1460 and one half. March beans slipped 22 and three quarter cents, 1465 and a half. July closed at 1474. That's down 22 and one quarter cents on the day. March cotton was 156 points lower, 79.39. Livestocks. Nearby live cattle futures climbed modestly behind follow-through technical buying following Friday's strong close and longer-term optimism over the cash market. USDA reported live steers averaged 155.60 through Friday morning. That's down 82 cents from the previous week's average. Feb fat cattle 55 cents higher, 156.10. Jan feeders 27 and one half cents lower, 183.65, although deferred feeder cattle contracts firmed on the day. And finally, February lean hogs extended last week's losses and fell to an eight-week low on continuing pressure from weakness in the cash market. Meanwhile, China's most active hog futures contract plunged 6.6% today to its lowest level since the contract launched almost two years ago. February lean hogs 30 cents higher today, 83.70. April, 35 cents lower, 90.65. Let's bring Jack Scoville in from the Price Futures Group. Jack, uh, I know you keep an eye on China. China's most active hog futures contract down 6.6%, lowest level since the contract launched. What's the deal with the Chinese hog market? Uh, apparently, uh, well, apparently there's, there's plenty of supply out there. That's one thing. But the uh, real story that I'm picking up is that, that there's been a real lack of demand. Uh uh, the economy is starting to open up over there. In fact, uh, looks like my wife's going to be going over to China sooner rather than later, much to her glee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, probably will try and eat some of that pork. But, uh, the, uh, fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people over there are just not, are just now starting to open up. And, 
starting to work again. And, and the, uh, the protein, the protein and the diets has really been, uh, really been kind of missing here lately. So I think it's just a real lack of demand on the part of the people that will improve as the economy continues to open. But for now, uh, it's just not right there. Now, when you say she'll be looking forward to eating some of that pork over there, can you help us get our heads up? When I think of I'm going to have some pork for lunch, I got a big old thick Iowa chop, a big loin chop, something like that on my plate. What? How are they using pork over there? Well, I don't really. I've never really had any chops or anything like that. They do. They right. do eat the ribs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they eat a lot of pork belly. Uh, there's been a lot of pork belly in some of the meals. And uh, generally, uh, I haven't seen much in the way of hams, but uh, I think they must consume it. Uh, generally, they'll eat just about everything there is to eat that, that's available on a hog. It's just a question of uh, how the preparation is done, and mostly it's uh, <laughs> mostly it's kind of tends to be stewed and mm-hmm. um, put in or put into a hot pot, which is the same thing, right. or right. Uh, or and then cooked with rice. Jack Scoble from the Price Futures Group. It's been informative. I appreciate it. Stick around, everybody. Matt Bennett, agmarket.net, coming up next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. Good afternoon. Your pal Davis Michelson here behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk. My guest this afternoon Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. Mr. Bennett, thank you for joining us today. How's everything? Everything's going well. How are you doing? Outstanding, sir. Um, before we get uh, before we get too deep, I just feel like I want to give you a chance. You've had a weekend to think it through. Anything about the data from USDA last Friday that that bears highlighting? You know, I was a little interested in the fact that they left, uh, you know, Argentinian uh, production alone. Now, I know a lot of folks were complaining that uh, they didn't drop that uh, soybean crop in Argentina. But at the same time, Davis, I guess you got to ask yourself, you know, would they leave the Brazil crop alone? Because uh, for the most part, Brazil's in pretty darn good shape as far as, you know, until you get to southern Brazil. Actually, a lot of folks are talking monster crops. So, you know, if you take some out of Argentina, you probably have to add some back into Brazil. But I thought 
thought it was interesting that they basically did nothing. Now, typically December, you know, is a yawner. I mean, it almost seems like they take that month off, but uh, I don't know, 75 million bushels out of uh, U.S. corn exports makes sense to me. I think there's definitely room for more, but it looks to me like the USDA is just kind of thinking that, you know, maybe when you get into the uh, this time period where Brazil doesn't have a whole lot of corn to throw out on this market, you know, and you see the issues that you continue to see out of the Black Sea region that I think they're kind of hedging their bet that maybe corn exports will finally at least pick up a little bit. And I'm not saying we won't have to slash them a little bit again, but I mean, still we're below 9% stocks use ratio. So it's not like this corn situation is going to get burdensome anytime soon. Indeed. Um, going back to Argentina, I, I wonder if the, the sort of chaste approach to moving those numbers just isn't the the on-again, off-again relationship with the rains down there. We hear about rains rolling through. Usually they're reported as being rather spotty. Some of this area missed it. This area didn't. But that, And it seems like every time we hear about rain in Argentina, it's followed up by the sentence, but the next 10 days are expected to be dry, and dryness will persist. You know, it's. I think it's probably just really hard to figure. I agree. And I think they just want to let this uh, kind of play out a little bit farther. I think some of the folks that I'm friends with, you know, they said it'd be nice if they just saw that addressed, at least to an extent. Obviously, January, we're looking at a major data dump, you know, so I do think that there could certainly be some changes as far as South American production goes. We know we're going to be getting stocks. We know we're going to be getting a final yield number. And quite frankly, Davis, I could see you know, this corn yield may be growing a little bit. I mean, you saw a couple straight drops and then in November you raise the yield. And a lot of times when you see that, you got to keep in the back of your mind that you could see another increase. So, you know, I do think that there were some areas that certainly were bludgeoned on yield, didn't have a great year whatsoever. There are some other areas that had an awfully good yield, you know, right here in Illinois where I'm at, we had one heck of a good corn yield. Most producers you talked to had incredible uh, uh, corn overall on their farm. So I do think there were some areas that are going to pull that average up just a little bit. I think you'll see an uptick in yield again. I think carryout's going to have to grow some in Jan. How's basis holding up over there if, if uh, yields are pretty decent? You know, basis is uh, holding up okay. You know, like for the time of year, uh, for us, we're in pretty good shape. I mean, you haul up to, for instance, uh, you know, like uh, Decatur is a big hub for corn, you know, and their basis is running 27 to 30 over. You know, at this time of year, that's not always the case by any means, uh, especially whenever Illinois had a, a state yield of 215. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just... You, if you if you held everything else constant, there's no question that that would not be your basis level. But you know, you you get west, and all this corn, you know, of course, is going to migrate from east to west. Not all of it, but a ton of corn is going to have to migrate from east to west. We know the driest areas were out there. Uh, first of all, second of all, that's where a lot of the cattle in the country reside. And yes, some of them got liquidated, but there's still a ton of cattle out there. So basis levels in that part of the world, you know, some of the producers in Kansas getting two dollars and and more than that over the board you know they're trying to draw that corn out there and so i kind of say it's a you know it's like a rising tide lifts all ships so uh, basically you're seeing everyone kind of participate to an extent but i'm far enough away from it that uh you know we're not uh participating anywhere like uh, some of the folks west but again davis I, I can't complain you know we had an awfully good yield here so i yeah. I, I sure hope producers aren't uh, complaining about that too much how is the river market figuring into that uh, exodus westward for some of that crop? 
Well, the thing is, you know, of course, the river's still not exactly healed up by any means. We had a couple right. systems come through, and I think St. Louis and South healed to an extent, but you get north of St. Louis, and you're still not exactly in a great situation. You can't float a full barge uh, down the river yet. And so, you know, I think that uh, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, in the past, you'd see a real strong basis there at the river, and uh, people wouldn't even think about uh, uh, loading a shuttle to head out west, you know. I mean, it's going to get stopped at the river, but that's not the case right now. So I do think that if you would get uh, a significant amount of rainfall, um, you know, you're going to need a decent amount. Um, maybe you have an opportunity to see that river market kind of catch hold. I do think there could be some uncovered export business uh, moving forward. Obviously, uh, you know, Mexico has done some business with us, but uh, we need to see some of the other folks, uh, especially, uh, you know, I'd like to see China. I saw some more numbers out today that suggested that they're at least going to come up 15 million metric ton shy of usage based upon what their production was for this year. So you know, I don't know how much corn they had in storage, but it sure appears to me that knowing how they like to have food security, that they would certainly be wanting to step in and buy some corn this marketing year. Well, I get the sense we'll find out how much they've got in storage uh, if we keep an eye on how long they're willing to wait for Brazilian supplies to come online. Absolutely. I think so. And I mean, the thing is, we can, you know, the USDA essentially has uh, over 50% of the world's stocks uh, residing in China. But I, I guess um, I'm skeptical, uh, would be probably the most politically correct way to put it. But, uh, you know, I do think that regardless, if they wanted to keep um, 150, 200 million metric tons on hand, you know, this would be the fifth to sixth year in a row that they've been using more corn than what they're producing. So, you know, yes, they bought corn these last two years. So you've got to think they're going to continue to buy corn. I just don't see them wanting to dwindle their stocks very uh, close at all. Well, now let's, let's talk about export demand just a little bit. I mean, my big question is, uh, when we're talking both corn and soybeans, um, are are we looking at a market that is priced to ration demand, or is there more just sort of a timing thing on on getting China to shake loose here? <clears throat> That's a really really good question. So, whenever you look, for instance, at the world ledger, I mean, basically we're dropping from I think around oh I don't know three hundred and seven million metric ton to uh, you know just shy of three hundred. So maybe you're dropping eight or nine million metric ton on stocks on the world ledger. But um, you know when you look at production, uh, the projection is that it's going to have gone down forty nine million metric mm -hmm. tons. So that tells you uh, we're losing some demand. I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, you know, you're six seven. Uh, 750 type uh, corn prices, you know, the job of those prices, of course, is to cure <laughs> those prices, you know, right. high prices cure high prices. So yes, you're certainly, uh, you've lost some demand, a lot of speculation that you're going to lose a little bit uh, from corn uses for ethanol moving forward. Numbers were phenomenal last week, but I don't expect that to be the case for long. I know margins have been pretty thin. So, you know, I think moving forward, we have lost some demand. Whenever I look at uh, moving forward, uh, you know, as far as the export situation is concerned, I think again that you're going to get some of that business that uh, we're all presuming is lost and and just not going to come i think some of that business is going to show up but i guess i'm afraid the usda is going to have to drop another 50 to 100 million metric ton but that's that's just a mm. guess for me mm -hmm. um on thursday last week we talked to oliver slope from blue line futures he said his quote was he wanted to be bullish corn but the chart looks bad I've hmm. kind of been watching this corn market. It finds a spot and it sticks to it. Five fifty, five eighty-five. I'm, you know, I, I feel like today's bounce. Look, the march is up a dime. Um, mm -hmm. Are we looking like maybe we're just going to go back to circling six fifty again for a while? 
You know, you look at a week ago Friday and that corn market, you know, dipped down, uh, you know, uh, we saw the lowest close that we had seen uh, since, I believe, uh, Monday, the Pro Farmer Crop Tour, you know, and so mm-hmm. uh, we'd actually uh, uh, dipped down, uh, you know, close the market at what, 646. And, you know, uh, you know, the market had not been down there once again, since like the 22nd of August. So, you know, I want to get friendly corn, but technically speaking, a lot of these folks are looking at the market saying, holy smokes, we're under, you know, at the time we were under all of our uh, moving averages. Now we're kind of creeping back up, you know, of course, on your, your shorter term moving averages. And, uh, you know, it's looking a little healthier, but uh, I've said all along that this market just didn't want to go anywhere. How many years do you not see some sort of a harvest low? You know, you usually claw down into a harvest low, claw your way back out of it, you know, uh, but this year was just a dead market. Uh, but fortunately for all of us, you know, is a dead market at a high price. And so you see all those moving averages converge, you know, at some point you're going to break one way or the other. Uh, most of the time, that's kind of a violent situation. And so uh, I guess what we've been telling producers is understand that if it goes lower, yeah, I can't tell you if it's going to go higher or lower. If I told you I knew, I'd be lying. But <laughs> if it's lower, you got to be cautious because that's where your risk lies. You know what? Let's talk about risk on the other side of this break. Let's talk about uh what your feelings are, what we need to be maybe doing on the 23 crop and uh, on both corn and beans. And maybe if there's a little bit of cleanup to do on old crop, we'll talk about that too. It's Matt Bennett from agmarket.net with your pal Davis Michelson on AgriTalk. We'll be right back after these words. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time now for news of note from Pro Farmer. Rainfall amounts were greater than expected across areas of Argentina over the weekend, but this week's forecast shows a return of hot, dry conditions. Russia bombed the southern part of Ukraine over the weekend, where some export facilities lost power. The Ukrainian port of Odessa was not operating on Sunday. Russia says it wants to adjust the Black Sea Grain Initiative to ensure more food supplies go to the world's poorest countries in Africa and Asia. In Washington, lawmakers have until December 16 to reach a deal on a full-year spending bill for fiscal 23 or pass a short-term measure delaying the deadline to avoid a partial government shutdown. Odds are rising that Congress could deliver aid for rice growers who have faced surging inputs costs, especially fertilizer, while not experiencing the relatively high prices received by other growers. News of note is taken from the pages of ProFarmer. Get more at TryProFarmer.com.
Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Knowledge is power. We're here to charge your batteries. AgriTalk. It's like my favorite bump. AgriTalk, everybody. Your pal Davis Michelson getting carried away a little bit. Joe, don't play the good stuff when I'm on alone. I have no accountability whatsoever. I would just sit here and dance all day. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Matt Bennett from agmarket.net is my guest today. We're going to get to the conversation on marketings right after we check in with today's closes, where March hard red winter wheat futures 29 and one quarter cents higher at 880. March soft red wheat 20 and one half cents higher, 754 and three quarters. March corn futures six and one half cents higher, 641 and one quarter. July corn futures closed at 648 and one quarter. That's up seven and one half cents. January soybean futures 23 and one quarter cents lower at 1460 and one half. July soybeans closed at 1474, down 22 and one quarter cents on the day. March cotton 156 points lower, 79.39. On your livestocks, February fat cattle were 55 cents higher, 156.10. April fats 55 cents higher, 159.90. January feeders 27 and one half cents lower, 183.65. And finally, February lean hogs 30 cents higher at 83.70. Now this. Oh, ho, 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 ho. What would you like for Christmas, little fella? I would like for all the children of the world to hold hands together and listen to AgriTalk. Matt Bennett's my guest today from agmarkets.net. Matt, we're coming up to Christmas time right around the corner. After that is the end of the year. Uh, you had mentioned that you're getting quite a few questions about 2023 marketings. What do you got to say? Well, you know, you look at this uh, 23 situation and there's no question that uh, this, in, in my opinion, uh, everything you read and everything that I've seen, I mean, I farm, that is going to be most likely on average, you know, the most expensive crop the U S producers ever put in the ground. And so uh, there's some angst as there should be that uh, once you get your input situation locked in, you know, that you could see, obviously uh, the risk of course is going to lie to the downside. So, you know, if the market breaks out of this range we've been in and it goes to the upside all as well. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't say all as well, but I would say everyone's going to be happy, uh, in the short run, but uh, obviously if the market breaks, we're very susceptible. And so one thing that we've tried to talk to producers about, there's a few reasons why I don't want to just go out and hedge the living daylights out of this, even if I'm in a, a, a place where my APH is robust and I feel confident about, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good field work that got done this fall. I mean, this was a great year uh, for fall field work for most producers in the Corn Belt. So, you know, I think people are set up for a good, uh, good spring. I mean, who knows what the weather's going to be, but I'll tell you what, Davis, you don't want to get, uh, hedge yourself, uh, get too far over your skis because you look at the drought situation, you know, I mean, it is excessively dry uh, in a good chunk of the corn belt. Uh, more of the continental U S is covered in, in drought than what we saw coming out of that 12 uh, drought. Uh, yes. It was a little more intense out West. If you look at those maps and you kind of compare them, but still that's a pretty substantial thing to say that we've got more, a higher percentage of, of, of the uh, area 
here in the U.S. it's under drought. So, you know, if you if you would end up getting into that situation, then you wouldn't want to be overhead. So we've been trying to tell people, hey, let's let's get into a flexible situation, you know, whereas we've got a floor underneath us and then, uh, you know, we can run at least uh, you can leave the upside open or if that's too expensive, you know, we want to, uh, you know, maybe put a cap on it, seven, seven fifty on a few bushels. But I think the biggest mistake we could make is just to leave ourselves completely exposed, because even though I like the fundamentals of the corn market as they sit today, you know, it doesn't mean that some black swan event isn't going to occur or something none of us are thinking about, you know, and, and drive this market to uh, levels that we don't want to see. I'm looking at fertilizer prices in Iowa and Illinois reported as of the first week of December. I've got anhydrous at 1465, DAP and MAP hovering right around 1200 on average. Uh, looks like potash is kind of right in there too. Well, around 875, we'll call it on potash. Um, but then, you know, your nitrogen's the UAN's been quiet, urea's fairly quiet, but still those are at elevated levels as well. Um, uh, it does feel like there's significant risk here with the fertilizers, but if you're saying maybe fertilizers were, you know, there was a pretty aggressive pace, at least in, in your area from what you're hearing, maybe that just means that supplies have drawn down a little bit, and so we're seeing a price bump in response to that. Is there a possibility there on the, those fertilizer costs? Yeah, I think, you know, overall, I think uh, we all knew fertilizer is going to be fairly tight. I mean, obviously, uh, there's only so much competition in that industry. And uh, one thing that I've told producers uh, that want to see corn prices back off is be careful what you wish for, because one way I can guarantee a fertilizer is going to back off is if the price of corn goes lower. And so, uh, you know, uh, here's the thing, though. Are they going to drop anhydrous prices substantially uh, between now and spring? I would say that, uh, you know, even if uh, propane or not propane, but nat gas drops off, you know, I guess um, <laughs> it'd be hard for me to see anhydrous prices drop uh, precipitously because I don't know what kind of fall run they would ever have again, uh, you know, if they got prices out of control to the upside. So, you know, uh, you, you'd say, well, it sounds to me like they control the prices too much. Well, you know, there's going to be a, that, that to an extent. I certainly don't want to take that out on my local ag chem retailer because they're, sure. they're a price taker, if you will. Um, you know, but again, there's just only so much competition there. And so we are in a, in a situation where the value of what we're selling is certainly going to play a very large role on what we're paying for input. So that should tell us that if we are going to lock all those inputs in, it would be, uh, in my opinion, not a very smart move to sit here and just let the entire uh, output side of things ride. So again, I want to at least uh, at least lock in a good chunk of, of uh, bushels to where I'm not going to get strangled by that uh, ratio going against me if uh, the price of corn goes down. Because if it does go down, Davis, fertilizer is going down too. Yeah. Well, would you favor perhaps uh, if you're going to lock in a fertilizer price, then then do something on the corn side at the same time? Yes. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to wait too long. I think that, you know, I mean, the typical producer is going to spend four to $450 an acre on fertilizer right now. And so you just do the math at that, you know, and I know we're not quite at six, but, you know, just uh, divide that by six and you can tell how many bushels it's going to take. It's going to take, you know, in excess uh, 65, uh, uh, maybe even 70 bushels an acre, uh, uh, you know, just on some sort of a risk management tool. I'm not saying you have to do every single one of those bushels, but, uh, one thing you would do is, is that you would essentially lock in that ratio. So the way I see it is this, Davis, 
uh, whenever you're buying this fertilizer at a high price, you're doing it with the, you know, the assumption that you're going to be paying, getting $6 a, a bushel for corn, right? And so um, if you don't get that, uh, then it's definitely going to, uh, you know, kill your profit margins. And so, Again, I don't know where the price of corn is going anymore in the man in the moon. I feel like we'll see uh, better days for this these corn market. Uh, but again, I don't want to uh, be in a situation where something that's completely out of my control uh, takes me and puts me in a very unprofitable uh, situation. Farmers are going to be uh, visiting with their bankers coming up here uh, with, within a few weeks in the in the coming months, getting finances and things lined up. I know that interest rate increases have been top of mind for producers, at least according to the surveys and things that I've read and, and the, the growers that I've talked to. Um, but it, Alan Hoskins this morning um, from American Farm Mortgage was, was talking about, yeah, there could be some surprises out there for some folks, and he recommended keeping in touch with your banker and just keeping your finger on that pulse a little bit. What are you hearing on those lines? Yeah, I mean, one good thing, if uh, you know, you certainly can't uh, ignore the fact that most producers should be sitting in a little more flush situation than what, you know, what we've seen in quite some time. Now, obviously, if you didn't raise a crop, it all depends on what your, you know, situation was with insurance and whatnot. But bottom line is, you know, anyone who raised a crop is, is flush. I mean, they can, they can go to the coffee shop and say that they're not for all their buddies in town, but everybody knows they're lying to them. So, you know, uh, they're in a little better situation there, but I'll tell you what, Davis, I want to be really cautious on the decisions I make between now and the 31st. I know a lot of folks are trying to figure out a way to beat Uncle Sam, and I totally understand how that game works, but we got to be pretty cautious if these interest rates continue to rise. I want to be in a good situation as far as cash flow is concerned to where I'm not having to borrow every penny that uh, the bank's willing to loan me on an operating note, because I think operating notes this year are certainly going to be, you know, your your operating expense is going to go up quite a bit based upon the interest you pay uh, if you're borrowing much money. But I'm, I'm a little worried about what 24 might look like as well, because it certainly seems to me that the Fed is anything but done raising rates. And so, you know, uh, I, I heard Jim Wiesmeyer read him here a couple of weeks ago. He said you could be looking at 10 to 11 percent for 24, you yeah. know, is what some bankers are predicting. So I want to be in a good cash situation. I don't want to get out over my skis as far as my expenses are concerned. Uh, that way I can kind of minimize the impact of these interest rates because I don't think they're going to be up strong forever. Uh, but I do think that you're going to see higher interest rates than most of us are comfortable with. So if a farmer's feeling comfortable, now's probably not the best time to accidentally buy an overpriced boat. <laughs> is that what i mean yeah maybe you'd want to sell one i don't <laughs> there know you go. if you've got an overpriced boat you'd be uh, you know what you always want to be buying when everyone else is selling and be selling when everyone else is buying <laughs> well before we run out of time real quickly here what what should be top of mind what's what's the one message you want to make sure the farmers and marketers get here Hey, stay healthy. You know what? Use high prices and high profit margins to improve your balance sheet. Get yourself in a better situation as far as ratios are concerned. I do think that we probably got another good year in 23, but there are no guarantees. So, you know, if we're letting six and seven dollar corn that we've seen over the past year not improve our financial situation, I think we've really missed a really good opportunity. How do people get a hold of Matt Bennett? Yeah, agmarket.net's the best way. Just go there. You can get a hold of all uh, me and the guys and gals that I work with, our, our contact information, research, and uh, some of the tools we offer to kind of help you analyze some of these uh, situations we've been talking about today. Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. Man, I really appreciate your time today and uh, for sharing your thoughts with us. Really good stuff, man. Thanks a lot. 
Thanks for having me on, bud. Okay, once again, that was Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. Coming up, we're going to take a look at the technicals from Kerry Artec's point of view from artecadvisory.com. It's Davis Michelson rounding out a Monday on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. The chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on Agritalk. Agri-chicken's a little horse. Welcome back to Agritalk, everybody. Davis Michelson here in Chipstead. He is out on, uh, I don't know what he's doing. I'm imagining there's a platform in a tree somewhere, and there may or may not be face paint. We'll have to ask him when he comes back. I've never thought to ask him about that. It, uh, it is AgriTalk, uh, Monday afternoon time to bring in Kerry Artak from ArtakAdvisory.com. Kerry, thanks for joining us on AgriTalk. How are you today? I'm doing great, Davis, and thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Now I had in my notes here where you wanted, oh yes, um, March corn. Yeah. My, so here's my question. I'm just, I'm going to talk a little bit before I let you go here, but man, it just <laughs> feels like March corn wants to tether itself. Uh, all of the, the corn market wants to tether itself to some level and then just sort of stick to it. You know, I think of that guy who mows his lawn by driving a stake into the middle and putting a putting a string out or a rope out to his lawnmower and just sort of letting it spiral around. Is this the kind of thing we're looking forward to here as we close out the year? <laughs> well, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by tether itself to a particular price point. Uh, you uh-huh. can elaborate if you want, but I, I have had... Uh, you know, it was a what I call a near to midterm sell signal in early November, a three to five week sell signal that is about three to five weeks in the making. And we've not seen our price target to the downside yet. And that is 620 even all the way down to 606 and a quarter. It's a wide zone of longer term support for the broader corn market that could contain selling, I think, into next spring. And from there, we can spring back nicely. Uh, no pun intended. If we were, though, to close uh, below 606 and a quarter at the end of any week, and I don't see that anytime soon um, with the reduced volatility, but if we were to close below 606 and a quarter, then we enter another phase of longer term selling pressures that I think could, over the following three to five months, yield 532 even, where the broader corn market encounters long term support able to contain selling through all of next year. Now, that sell signal that I mentioned, it remains intact. 
below 673 and a quarter, which is almost 20 cents above where we are right now. We settled at 654 even. So if we test 673 and a quarter over the next week or two, it can contain buying, you know, into January, possibly through January. And, uh, you know, you could call that almost a two-sided framework through January. If we were to close above 673 and a quarter, that neutralizes the sell signal. And I think the market then can actually, over the following two to three months, reach 746 even. And that is a weekly chart resistance area that could contain buying through next spring. But I don't expect to see 746 unless we can get up and over 673 and a quarter. I'll talk a little bit about March wheat, if you like, Davis. Oh, I'd love um, that. Yeah, so um, uh, there's a long-term two-thirds speed line. I don't want to get into how that is constructed, but it's projected off the 2016 low. And when we had the big rally in the spring and summer, we came falling back to that August low. It held it almost to the very tick. And it is at 758 and a quarter this week. We actually closed below it last week for the first time. And that actually set off a three to five month sell signal. Now, these long-term sell signals, they need a week or two to flesh out to fully see whether they're going to follow through or not. And we sprung back actually on Monday. We are right there at 758 and a quarter. So if we settle the week Friday back above 758 and a quarter, that should actually yield, uh, you know, gains, I think, over the next three to five months to 935 even on the heels of that failed long-term sell signal, which is in essence a valid sign of strength um, as we move into spring. So 935 even would be expected if we close Friday above 758 and a quarter March wheat. But until then, that sell signal remains intact below 758 and a quarter. And over the next three to five months, I'm expecting 575 even to 595 even. That would put us into spring trade where we could actually bottom out through all of 23 at 575 even to 595. And finally, I'll finish up with Feb Lean Hogs. Last week, early last week, a week ago today, we actually tested long-term resistance at 92.20. It's a descending channel top, about 18 months in the making. It's at 91.05 this week. I don't see it this week, but what the point I'm making is below 91.05, I think the mid-70s are in reach again over the next two to three months, perhaps by February expiration. 75.50 is a long-term support area. And the kicker for that, the, what would actually set that in play clearly would be a settlement this week, Friday below 83.75. So if we close below 83.75, we're probably just two to three weeks away from testing 75.50, where we could actually bottom out through next spring with regard to the broader lean hog market. Until then, continued settlements at or above 83.70. I know we closed at 83.70 today, but 83.75 is the pivot. It's just too close to really call it a sell signal yet. I think another lower day tomorrow, and uh, we can ease back into the mid-70s. Until then, uh, we could spring back to 9105 here over the next few weeks where we could top out actually through winter activity. And I, I, that kind of rounds it out for me, Davis. All right. Um, well, I'm going to completely unfairly spring this on you, although you probably expect it. Uh, are, <laughs> speaking of springs, are we are we seeing a, a spring, a bounce in the WTI crude oil? We're up, call it not quite two and a half bucks. Everybody's sitting right around 73 and a half-ish all the way out to the May 23 did we just get low enough here or is there something else that's gotten into this market today i still see a week below 76.50 i'm talking january contract i have a target of 65.50 a two to three week objective there's your long-term floor of support 65.50 where we could bottom out into next spring even into the middle part of next year so that's your floor if we can close back above 76.50 then i agree with you we should follow through up to 90 half or so 90 dollars a barrel within two to three three to five weeks and that's your longer term ceiling 
7650 is a pivot point inside that wide zone. We are below it. So I'm still expecting a 6550, possibly by the end of December. Dude, was that off the top of your head or were you like, ah, this joker's going to ask me about crude oil? Be honest. No, I do. I do crude oil every single day. So no, I was ready for you. I thought you were. I, you know, you pull those on me. It's usually crude. That's that's your big uh, secret is the crude oil. It is. Question. It is. It's my ace in the hole. Uh, hey, you still got the two week free trial thing going on, yeah, Carrie? Uh, at artechadvisory.com. A R T A C advisory.com. That's right. Advisory.com. Carrie Artech. Thanks so much for your time. Thank this you, afternoon. James. Appreciate you. You have a great week. Yep. Take you care too. Bye bye. Whew, great day of programming here on AgriTalk, and uh, I hope you were able to catch both shows. Uh, I am in for Chip for the rest of the week, but we do have some guest hosts tomorrow afternoon. We've got a very special guest host. I know you're going to love it. Kind of a blast from the past. Tomorrow morning, I will be behind the big green leafy microphone. We're going to talk about prescription antibiotics for livestock. We've got Sandy Stutgen of the University of Wisconsin. I was just texting my buddy from Wisconsin earlier today. Travis, what's up? Uh, thanks to uh, Matt Bennett, Kerry Artek, Jack Scoville, of course, Big Apple Joe Stackler, and myself, Davis Michelson. It's AgriTalk. Thanks for tuning in, and I will catch you on the flippity flip.